First Person is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company, who rejoice in the stories of changed lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Learn more at febc.org. I want to see America win. I want to see uh, men and women and children win. That victory only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that this zero victim message uh, serves as a catalyst to kind of help move, move people forward into what it is that God has for them. Welcome to First Person, where we're going to talk with Pastor James Ward, the author of Zero Victim. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and we'll begin the conversation in just a few seconds. This is James Ward's second visit with us on First Person. The first was a number of years ago, and that introductory interview is available for listening online at firstpersoninterview.com. We'll put a direct link in our program notes. At that time, James talked about growing up in the segregated South and introduced us to his book's message of overcoming injustice with a new attitude. Since that first interview, I've watched as this perspective has been widely discussed not only in church world, but also in the secular media. God has provided many opportunities for James to address the spiritual roots of many of the issues that plague our nation and world. So I invited James back to bring us up to date and amplify his message of overcoming a victim mentality in every aspect of life. James Ward came to the studio for this conversation. I think my first major interview, you know, to kind of get the message out was was granted by you. And so you were very much responsible in helping us get the message out. And so much has happened during that time. And so I'm grateful to be here again with you today. Well, I doubt we're going to have enough time to really review everything that's happened in eight years because you've been busy. Quite a you've bit. Been, the Lord has kept you very busy uh, yes, all I'm these grateful. years, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, this guy from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, yeah. he grew up on one side of the river and then uh, had to go to school on the other side of the river and saw a different world. And then that that's your story. That was the beginning yeah. of your story. Yeah. It sure is. And I'm so grateful. I think it um, has given me just a, a great perspective about where our nation is. You know, Tuscaloosa was divided by the Black Warrior River, white people on one side, black people on the other side. But you know what, Wayne, today uh, there are Black Warrior Rivers all over the place mm-hmm. and, and division, um, uh, polarization is the thing that's that's uh, defining our nation right now. And I really think that zero victim message is timeless and relevant to help our nation heal and kind of call folks out of their end zones back to the 50-yard line if we're yeah. going to move forward yeah, as a very nation. Very good, very good. I'm going to urge our listeners to go back and listen to that interview we did all those years ago. I'll put a link to it in our program notes because we 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 go uh, we take a little dive into the zero-victim message there that I think listeners want to hear because it's even more relevant today than it was uh, back in 2015 or so. But give me just a little synopsis of what you wrote about in Zero Victim and how it applies today. Sure. You know, the the, the premise, and I, I like to start here by saying that, that, that Jesus, our Lord, was a zero victim thinker. And this is, you know, I feel my calling is to stand at the intersection where spiritual spirituality meets intersectionality. That's a loaded term that we can talk quite a bit about. All the quantifiers and the metrics that we use to define ourselves, this this ideological warfare that we see now of identity and ideas. That's the new civil war. Mm. It's not the North and the South. Civil war is now happening in the family between the parents and the children yeah. because of ideas so and identity. Sad, right. But to stand at that place where spirituality meets intersectionality, um, the gospel applied to society is the only way to to resolve it. Only Jesus can bring unity and 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 mediate 
Uh, Ephesians 2 talks about that kind of uh, uh, mediation of him bringing down the, the middle wall. And the bottom line, the greatest, the only man that suffered, uh, the only innocent man that ever lived suffered the greatest injustice that the world has ever known. And while the nails are still being driven in his hand, he's already praying, Father, forgive them. He's already loving and literally dying for the people that are killing him. That's power. That's something that our nation needs right now. And that zero victim message applied helps our need our nation to actually walk in the practical benefits of that. So for all the ills of culture, yeah. the gospel is the solution. Absolutely. And there are ills. It's never dismissive as though those ills don't uh, exist. Calvary was real. The sacrifice of our Lord uh, shedding his blood was real. It was tangible. And it was tangible because these problems are tangible and real. So we're not talking about a, a, a theoretical gospel. We're actually talking about the praxis of God's goodness in society, uh, something that we need as humans to survive and to function together and to, to coexist in the earth. Well, not only will we put a link to that earlier interview, but we'll put a link to your book, Zero Victim, as well, which you've updated through the years. Yep, sure have. Yeah, did a great update. Uh, so much has happened in my life. So much has happened in our nation uh, uh, just great evolution, evolution and a deepening of the message, and it's still growing. I think it will continue to grow and evolve over the next few years. Where do we start? I mean, I I, I get tired watching you and your your wife Sharon uh, and all the opportunities yeah. God has given you and the doors that have opened to you. It's amazing. Yeah, no, we we get tired too, <laughs> but we thank the Lord. We have a great team of tremendous staff. Uh, my kids are involved, and so yeah. we have tremendous leaders that stand with us to make things happen. Yeah. Uh, but just great place to start is just the division in our nation. How do we heal? How do we reconcile? And um, one one idea that I, I, I carry in my heart is that um, even as people of faith, I think as believers, it's important for us to engage and to not uh, abdicate our responsibility to help society figure out the way forward. I mean, Jesus himself says, I am the way. It doesn't get any more plain or any more clear than that. He's the way. But, you know, when you see, for example, the the construct now of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think we're seeing what I call humanistic solutions being applied to spiritual problems that don't work. They can't work. There's no, there's no benefit to them. And I think it's, it's certainly a tragedy when we as believers kind of take on these humanistic solutions to try to solve these problems minus the gospel, the mind of Christ, and the wisdom of yeah. God. So you've had these convictions but it's one thing to have the convictions. It's another thing to reach people and teach people what the solution is. And talk to me about some of the ways that God has made a way for you. Sure. You know, well, tremendous doors have been opening. I think I think the zero victim message, the fruit of it also has to do with many of the doors of opportunities that are opening because it's a, it's a message of healing and unity and not condemnation. You know, I... Uh, you know, for example, we're working in and out of D.C. with a number of great folks there. Great partnership with Museum of the Bible, amazing organization. So thankful yeah, for I Steve to and Harry. Find out more about that, right? Yeah. So, so even just working, working in that particular space and reminding even uh, folks in D.C., God is neither He's neither Democrat nor Republican. Right. <laughs> like, like we kind of want Him to be, <laughs> and even even recognizing that conservatism. And liberalism, they're not. That's religious. not the answer either. No, no, they're, no. they're political constructs. I want I want us to get back to faith, the truth of God's word. You know, biblical truth applied to society, yeah. and um, that's one of the areas that we're we're seeing great 
uh, opportunities in the D.C. area. Well, let's talk about that as an example mm-hmm. of how God works in people's lives. I think it's a yeah. tremendous example of how God uh, moved to put you in a position to uh, have this uh, this area of influence for our nation through prayer, through the Museum of the Bible. So tell, tell mm-hmm. that whole story. How did that begin? Right. Yeah, it's 2018. I think I went to D.C. to meet with a partner there, and I just bought a ticket. So I want to go yeah. to the museum. You're a pastor in Chicago. Visit, yeah, pastor in Chicago. I want to just visit this Bible museum that I keep hearing about. I went went to the museum, short version, felt the Lord speak to my heart and say, I've called you to work with the leaders of the museum. Didn't know anybody, just had a ticket stuff. Well, <laughs> Advanced to 2020, I mean, we know what's happening. The, the George Floyd shooting took place. Mm-hmm. Our nation is burning. The streets are burning. Most contentious political uh, presidential election we've ever seen. Um, COVID, you couldn't find enough ventilators. People are dying from COVID. And at that time, you know, Jacob Blake was another shooting that took place in Wisconsin. His mother uh, was a member of our intercessory prayer team. So that just kind of launched into this national space. A few days later, I get this call from the White House and it's President Trump, you know, saying, hey, we need some help. And we're, I'm obligated to help my president, whatever I can do. But it just put us in this position where there was polar opposites in the nation between, let's just call it the Trump camp and the BLM camp on the other side. And felt the Lord speaking to my heart saying, James, what are you going to do about it? I yeah. put you in a position. And one of the initiatives, several have come out of that, but one of the initiatives was prayer. So we're praying one day in our bedroom, and I said, Sharon, I think the Lord wants us to go to the museum to pray for America, just to intercede. The museum was closed, and so we're going to go, stand on the sad- sidewalk, pray, <laughs> come back home. But the message got back to um, to Steve Green, you know, the founder of the museum, and uh, he and Jackie opened up the, the door for us and said, you know what, that's our heart. We want to share in that vision. And so uh, having a chance to meet with Harry, next thing you know, we're in the museum praying, yeah. and it's continued since that time. So, so what happened then? Uh, the National Prayer Altar, mm-hmm. then, and then what's going to happen in the future? Yep. So we can we started then uh, politicians, thought leaders, you know, pastors, leaders from across, D, you know, D.C. and across the nation started to join. I think we're coming up on our sixth National Prayer Altar on November 1st of this year. We'd love to have folks come out. This is something you and Sharon do together. Absolutely. We do it together and um, are are seeing just a great coalition of believers. And the the vision is simple. Um, There's so many different streams of prayer and faith and and wonderful denominations. If those streams could ever come together to form a river, I believe it would impact America in a significant way that we've never seen before. Um, bottom line, we feel the Lord spoke to our heart and said, hey, what cannot be communicated from the White House, what can't be legislated from Congress, what can't be adjudicated from the Supreme Court will be demonstrated by my spirit from Museum of the Bible. So that's the vision that we carry and are doing our very best to invite believers to come in and stand with us to pray for our nation. What business does a museum have in national healing and and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm asking. Yeah. I mean, I, how, how did that I how, think how did that come about? A, a great question for the the Green family because the amazing thing is a museum dedicated to the scriptures, and I think that's the thing that is so different. Um, even being in the D.C. space in terms of the right location, I envision it as a great altar for our nation. You know, you read throughout the scriptures. The people would gather to pray and to seek the Lord and covenant would be established at the altar. I just see it as a place of dedicated to the word of God, that if God's people gather there in unity, I believe it would touch heaven and then heaven in response would touch the earth. That's Second Chronicles seven fourteen. God makes the conditions if my people, but then it ends by God says, then I will heal the land. Wayne, we're in a place right now. Only God can heal. We're desperate, America. aren't we? We're desperate. We've exhausted every means, every metric. 
um, you know, has proven to be faulty. Only God can heal our nation. And and the church, the the believers, the body of Christ has to respond. And so that's our, our hope for National Prayer Altar. Just one more thing about that. Again, mm-hmm. mention what's going to happen in November, and then yep. we'll put information about it in our program Wonderful. notes as yep. well. So. Yep. November 1st, which is a Wednesday at 6 p.m. is our next National Prayer Altar, and um, we're grateful. So is this televised? Um, we stream it live on our on our YouTube channel, but we invite folks to come to D.C. I, I really believe every Christian should pilgrimage and should go to Washington, D.C. The most powerful city in the world the symbolism is, is Washington, D.C., yeah. and gathering there physically is significant. You read, a, I think in Psalm 122, when it talks about praying for the peace of Jerusalem, it, it talks about how the people would go up to Jerusalem to that space. And so I think there's, a, there's an opportunity for Christians to be in D.C., which is the seat of power. All of our nation and the world is influenced by what flows out of D.C., I think D.C. should be known as a as a seat for revival and the goodness and the power of God and not politics. Politics is secondary, but let's, let's reclaim that, that place as a place where God's goodness is flowing across our nation. And we will continue this conversation with Pastor James Ward, the author of Zero Victim, coming up on First Person. Here's Ed Cannon on the vision for FEBC's weekly podcast. The primary purpose of Until All Have Heard, of course, is to share the experience that FEBC has because we have staff on the ground in so many oppressive places. But in addition to that, we're trying to speak to you in a way that only the kind of testimonies you'll hear from around the globe can do. Discover how the gospel is making a difference around the world. Search for Until All Have Heard on your favorite podcast platform or hear it online at febc.org. My guest is James Ward. James is a pastor. He's an author. He's a speaker and so many other things as well. And uh, we've known each other for a few years now. And I just uh, celebrate what God is doing in your life and the life of your wife, Sharon. You have such a beautiful family as well. I know your your kids, Jonathan and Hannah, are preparing for ministry as well. Uh, talk about this generation. We were talking about that before uh, recording the interview here today. Talk about the generation at hand and and how we need to be encouraging them. What and what they should be doing and preparing. Yeah, I I think activation is the key. Um, they're not they're not future leaders. Um, they're leaders right now. They're graced for right now. Um, Sharon and I have, by God's grace, many years of active involvement left in ministry, but we've already begun succession in the sense of, you know, Psalm 145 verse four or so says one, one generation generation will proclaim your works to another. And so we take that literally and we, we treat our children and their friends, their age group as partners with us. And uh, we empower them to lead. I I think one of the things that you hear about, you know, Asbury university, Lee, you hear Lee university, you hear about what's happening, these pockets of revival or Mm -hmm. outpourings that are happening in the nation. God is moving right now. But at the same time, you know, Paul says in the last days that that folks that will not endure sound doctrine. So I think there's a there's a very important call for those of us in the older generation to provide that sound doctrine. Let's make sure this is scriptural. It's not just an emotional experience. It's not just an, an, an outpouring that's responsive to the spirit of God. But let's buttress that with truth from the word of God. And a, a mixture of truth and the word of God, I think, will really set them up. Uh, to be empowered in a way that God can use them to affect their generation in a great way. I'm sure you see it, too, that sometimes we stand in the way of that kind of progress. And it's not that we need to get out of the way because we have a role to play as well. God God has given us years of experience and a certain amount of wisdom, of course, that comes from that experience. But we, we need to 
encourage, put our arm around them and just and point them in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's one area of improvement for, you know, the body of Christ in general is just succession and, and legacy. You know, I, I find in some situations not enough qualified successors are being raised, you know, to carry the mantle from these great ministries that don't, they shouldn't disappear. You don't want 30 or 40, 50 years of legacy and great investment in the kingdom to disappear, but we need to raise up qualified leaders that can carry those mantles. And and I always like to say that the father's tombstone is the child's stepping stone. Oh, yeah. Wherever we leave off, that is where the next generation and our children should have a launching pad from wherever we finish, and we should be intentional about that. Very good. So far, we've talked about the big picture. Let's, this, this zero victim message has a great impact personally for each one of us as well. Talk about more personal stories of forgiveness and, and uh, coming together as, sure. as people. Yeah, one of, one of the most important um, takeaways from the zero victim message uh, for any individual, again, life, life victimizes all of us. There's, everybody has a story of victimization. It may be a little bit different. But it's a part of life. And so the idea of cultivating, preparing, preconditioning your mind to deal with those challenges before they arrive, I think, has everything to do with success in life and people reaching the fullness of God's potential, maximizing and optimizing God's call on your life. I think it begins with a zero victim mindset. And Wayne, that's something that has to happen from the inside out, you know, that regardless of institutions and you know, the, the social justice movements, the activism, we're doing more, but I think we're seeing a decline um, even in terms of the, the quality of life and the fruit of, of our experiences because these things have to come from the inside out, not from the outside in. And I think it restores dignity. It, it really restores opportunity for people to live God's best and to be all that God intended them to be. It starts with a zero victim mindset. And um, more and more, it seems that, again, this ideological warfare, society is fighting to define with ideas and identity. Those are the two areas that are being uh, uh, competed for more than anything with our young people. We have to help them understand that those things start within with a zero victim mindset. I didn't warn you I was going to ask this, but do you have a a story to tell of how this principle has worked? You don't have to tell. You don't yeah. have to say names, yeah. but I just want to hear how God uses this mentality mm-hmm. to heal people. Mm-hmm. I can give you a few general stories. I've got numbers of them. I, I've, I've done calls with women who've been victims of sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. I do calls with folks who are, who are reentry citizens, folks who are making a transition from prison, who've been involved in prostitution in numbers of, of, of areas, and they weep when the discovery hits them that they're not a victim, that God loves them, God cares for them, and and the the quest for dignity. I think at the core of it, um, victimization robs us of dignity. It makes us feel absolutely worthless when we're not able to engage and function on the 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 production side of life and not just the consumer side of life. And so I just numbers of stories. Um, of, but forgiveness of that is, transformation. Forgiveness has to be a big part of this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's not forgiveness is not allowing the other person to get away with anything or being dismissive of what they done what they've done. What it does, it, it removes the hooks and it removes the the weights um, that that pull you down and hinder your own um, development. You know, I can tell you that that any oppressor in our lives, any person who's victimized us. 
They're not thinking about us. That's why they victimized us. If they were thinking so well of us and they would have wouldn't have created whatever injustice they did against us. And so after the victimization happens, that person continues to go on even in the era era in their era. But it's the person who's been victimized that remains stuck and is unable right. to move forward. And very life. often scarred. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, I, and, I, and I quantify that victimization in four categories that we all have what I call the faith of victimization. We all believe something about challenges and injustice and problems. So we have faith for victimization. But then you have the facts of victimization. What really transpired? But where it really gets dangerous is after the facts of victimization, there are the feelings of victimization. And it's how we feel about victimization that even becomes a greater issue than the facts of mm. victimization. Mm. And you know what? Those feelings eventually form what I call, fourthly, the philosophies of victimization. That now we have a philosophy about life that's concrete, and it really starts to change how we like, live life, what we see, what we experience, how we think. Our value system now starts to uh, you know, be, be transitioned to victim thinking, and it really becomes something that's deeply ingrained in our lives. You ever feel like whether it's uh, on a personal level or on a, a national level that you're you're swimming upstream here trying to teach yeah. people how to deal with these things and we're just not getting it? I feel it is an an uphill climb, but I believe God is in it. You know, I think it was Ge- Gehazi, you know, having his eyes open to see that those with us are more than those with them. <laughs> yeah, I like I, that. I yeah. feel that way about the zero victim message that from a cultural standpoint, it is uphill. But the kingdom of God and the promises that the, the, the nations of the world will become the nations of our God and of his Christ. And you read Daniel's prophecy about the kingdom of God destroying the, this, this image that represented the nations of the world. At the end, the, the kingdom zero victim message of Christ is going to win. Yeah. <laughs> so even though it's, there's some opposition, we know at the end of the day that is is going the truth is going to prevail and God's word will be true and so I'm encouraged by that. People often say, you know, they've read the last page of the Bible and we win. I, I always say I've read the first page of the Bible and we win. Right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Share just some scripture with us. Leave us with mm-hmm. the word here today, yep. James. Let's let's pick up right where we left off. First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. Now thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Gratitude, I think, is important to. Again, that goes along with the zero victim mind, mindset, gratitude, appreciation to God for what we have, for who he is, for what he's done for us versus the tendency to complain and to be upset about what isn't. We get to have gratitude for what is. Thanksgiving to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not a human victory is not just another attempt for us to gain justice for ourselves. He's gained that justice through the cross of Jesus Christ, and we get to experience the victory. Victory, God gives us the victory, but it's only through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to see America win. I want to see families in America win. I want to see uh, men and women and children win. That victory only comes through faith in Jesus Christ, and I pray that this zero victim message uh, serves as a catalyst to kind of help move move people forward into what it is that God has for them. Our guest has been Pastor James Ward, the author of Zero Victim, Overcoming Injustice with a New Attitude. I'm sure there are many who will want additional information about this book, and we will provide it with a link in our program notes at firstpersoninterview.com. Also, for more about James and the story of his life that has led him to this spiritual mission, look for that earlier first-person interview. There's a link to it at firstpersoninterview.com. My thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for making these interviews possible. 
FEBC's mission is to take Christ to the world through radio and new forms of media, and every day millions listen on the radio or online to FEBC's programs. You can learn more when you visit the website febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.